Good morning and welcome everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 or 88 right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are. Positively different radio in the morning. You are with Lyle and... Minnie. Minnie, what have you got in that thermos this morning? Oh, it's just tea. It's just rooibos and vanilla. It's oh, right. Okay, I was just sort of looking at it. Oh, yeah. I was like, I'm quite seeing the top. Just, what's yeah, it? no, it's just some old rooibos. Rooibos. Pretty yum. Yeah, yeah, good stuff. But also my water. I don't just have tea. For those of you who can't see, I also do stay healthy with water. I don't just drink tea. Tea is healthy. Mm, water's probably most better. T- no, no, no. Let me, yeah. let me rephrase that, actually. Mm. Because most of your varieties of tea are healthy, as in your, your herbal, herbal infusions. Yeah. yeah, well, I think I think normal tea, like black tea, is whatever it is, is uh, just some kind of herb as well. But it's got caffeine in it, mm. which is not a good thing. It's actually not the best for you. Have the have the non caffeinated ones. I am a connoisseur of tea. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, like, um, I have mm, be, better be careful. I'll be doing a too much. I, I like licorice tea. Oh, yeah, that's yum. But there is a specific one that is just ridiculously good. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I don't like licorice to eat, but the tea is delightful. Also, listeners, I did bring in some- Have you ever tried Dutch, Dutch licorice? As in eating it? Yeah. I don't even know what that is. As in- You have to try- You have never eaten licorice until you have eaten Dutch licorice. As in, is this a for kind those, of licorice? For those of you who agree with me, one eight hundred three two four eight four three. tell us your experiences of Dutch licorice. It is hard and it is salty and it is just amazing. Does it have it to be found overseas? Best. No, you can find it in like specialty shops around the uh-uh. place. It's okay. so good. Okay. Oh, it is so good. All righty. I believe you. I'm thankful for Dutch licorice this Hey, morning. that's good. That's the <laughs> one. <laughs> what are you thankful for? Oh, so many things. I'm going to drive up to Toowoomba and see my parents today. I got to see some friends yesterday. I got to have a FaceTime with my sis in England yesterday. Uh, yeah, look, lots of things. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Okay, I'm going to tell you guys some good news stories for the day. Okay. You so, <laughs> I will. Um, so, Patricia and Tony Walsh, they're Irish business owners and they employ like nearly 120 staff. Most of the work requires a special skill set and most of the locals don't have this skill set. So, most of their employees have to come from overseas in other European countries. So they own Walsh Color Print and Educate. I don't know specifically what that means they do, but something to do with printing. And um, there's limiting housing options and what is available is, well, there's not that much available and it's quite expensive. So a lot of the people just can't afford to save for places. And so particularly with things like COVID this year, some people have been in a stitch up of like, are we going to have to go back to our homes just because, you know, there's assurance of things a um, bit more stability. Yeah, so one couple have been with the company for about 16 years since immigrating from Poland and they were faced with the possibility of having to return home even though they wanted to stay. So they brought it to the couple's attention and the couple was like, well, the obvious answer is, of course, that we're going to help you with our like housing. This just seems reasonable. Um, so they began planning to gain permission for not prof- not-for-profit housing development on land the company already owns, which can accommodate 70 units, 20 of which are specifically for company workers. Um, and then, so, so far three houses have been completed. One's been bought by the Polish couple. Um, and the owners have noticed how for some families, it's the first time in their lives they've owned anything. 
Um, and so they're going to start to roll out this plan for the rest of their staff so that in the end, even when they're finished working for the company, they can leave saying, we own this. And Patricia um, says that this affordable housing is a win-win for employee and employers and hopes other Irish um, businesses will follow their example. I just think this is a really interesting story. Yeah, I'm just sort of working that one through in my head. I mean, there are a lot of companies around the place that could do this. Yeah. And it could be really, really beneficial for everyone. Fully, fully. Kind of thinking about the place we're working right now. But anyway, <laughs> maybe that's a hint. Hey. Another story is kind of following along the idea of uh, business people. So a Florida business owner is covering utility bills for 114 families this year at the risk of losing service so close to the holiday season. So this is the second year in a row he's done this. Last year he did the same thing, but he just did it for 36 families. Um, Michael Esmond is his name. He owns golf, breeze, pools, and spas. He's donated over $7,500 this year. Um, he said that they're a big vacation area and the summer was devastated due to COVID and Hurricane Sally earlier this year. And so it was just a no-brainer expectation that a lot of families would find this year more difficult than last. And so he just wants to make holidays a little bit less stressful. So he basically has just said to, I don't really know how this works, but apparently there's, I guess, a main company or whoever who is in charge of utilities in their little area. And he's just given all this money and said, okay, you put it towards where you need to. And so to begin with, they're doing it for families who are 60 days past due for mm. things like water, sewer and gas. The balance that left over helps covers bills for those who are 30 days past due. So it's basically just trying to help them get a little bit ahead of it. Man, that's hard. When you're running behind on bills... <laughs> It's hard to catch up again. And it's also hard because I think the mentality is you start to get really overwhelmed by the fact that you can't catch up and then you just get into like your mental space of actually being productive to get out of that can just be hard. It's not impossible. But, yeah, and so for Michael, he knows what it can be like to have to make the decision between putting food on the table or paying the bills. Um, years and years ago he experienced this himself. He has three daughters and, you know, he was just struggling to make ends meet and he just remembers how tricky that was. And so now his generosity has spread, specifically like this week, um, and the city has received five additional anonymous donations to cover another $2,000. Um, and he's received calls from all around the world with people wanting to donate to his cause. But I really like this. That his response has been, well, hold on. Why don't you go find the people in your area? Yeah, right. right? Because it would be very, very easy to take all those donations mm -hmm. and to start pouring them into your local uh, area and exactly. you know, benefit all of your neighbours. Yeah. And I think this is something, it's not a bad thing, but I think we do this, right? We hear about someone who's doing something well and it just, it makes it seem easier in our minds to be like, oh, well, that's already happening. I want to support this. It is a great thing, but it's also like, yeah, but hold on. Where are the places where we are currently that could use some of that assistance too? Like if we're going to do it anyway, if we're going to give this money or time or whatever that we have available. like Not everybody has the time to set up a charity though. No, but I'm saying and, 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 the, and, and, you know, I'm like, well, there's one that's set up and it's running, so I'll give to that one mm. rather than go to the effort and set one up myself. Yeah, yeah. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm just saying, like, if we can help people in our local area, why not? Yeah, oh, absolutely. Like, I think we need to. We yeah, need to get out there. absolutely. And... Anyway, so there's a couple of business owners who are just, um, yeah, doing what they can. We've actually heard quite a few stories like that this year with COVID, though. 
that people who have like looked out for looked out and stepped up. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, you want another positively positive positively different story this morning? Sure do. Okay, so this person uh, has uh, found a new way of recycling um, kitty litter. A new a new use for used kitty litter. <laughs> okay, go on then. So this person lived on a uh, on a street where a door her front door virtually opened onto the street, mm-hmm. and so she had a major problem with. Um, Package pirates stealing mm-hmm. all of her packages that got delivered. Oh, so dear. she just takes the packages, takes the contents out, fills it up with kitty litter, puts it on the porch, and it just <gasps> magically disappears each oh, time. Somebody no. just takes it away from her. Oh, no. <laughs> That's just to put a smile on your face. No other reason I told that story. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Okay, so Harvard Medical School has come up with a new discovery. Mm-hmm. Of course, Harvard Medical School, leading uh, medical school you know, in the world pretty much. If you've got a degree from Harvard, that's a pretty special degree to have. Yeah. They have discovered that there is no such thing as women. Well, well, what? What? Or girls. There are birthing people. Whoa. So they've just eliminated women. Wait, wait, wait. They have just dehumanised and eliminated how, women. How did we get there? What, what was, how well, was this, this, this discovery this, made? This is, this, well, this, this is the story of the king's new clothes, right? You, you, you're familiar with Aesop's <laughs> fables and the story yeah, yeah, yeah. of the king's new clothes? Wait, it's like, actually just nothing? There's actually just nothing and it takes a little kid to go, uh, you guys are all idiots. Uh-huh. All right, so um, I think we need a kid in this case to go to Harvard but Medical School they, and say, you guys are all idiots. But how did they come to this this conclusion, discovery? Well, they've come to this discovery that uh, all genders give birth. <laughs> okay, you guys can hear it, but through the glass I could hear Liam be like, what? <laughs> okay, no, how? Like, we need, I need this explained to me. This doesn't make any sense. Well, women give birth and yes. men give birth. no. 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 Incorrect. (laughs) Incorrect answer. Okay, this is dead serious. Um, How? This used to be one of the uh, greatest institutions of science in our world. It no longer is. It is now an institution of ideology. Their statement, not all who, the quote, this is a quote from uh, their Twitter feed, not all who give birth are women or girls. So 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 if you if you How, so if you identify as something yeah, yeah. that you're not, I see where they're going with this. What I want to understand is how then. What does that do to you as a woman? You're no longer a woman. Oh look, I don't. You're, want you're kids, a birthing so I person. Don't care. Like, oh, just, a birthing person so, just walked into the studio. Yeah, but so is that just how they're defining it? Just a birthing person. Like, what does yes. that mean? That seems. That's very confusing. If you were, if I was a kid and you were trying to explain this to me, <laughs> I'm an adult and I can't figure it out. Okay, this is interesting. This is an interesting development. Minnie's <laughs> um, <laughs> trying to wrap her brain around it. I just, I'm okay. Just basically, the Bible says this: professing themselves to be wise, yeah, yeah, yeah. they became fools, idiots. I'm just so intrigued by how. Yeah, it's a whole. It's science, right? Their their whole thing is about yeah, this. That's right. Now we have people who suffer with gender dysphoria. No, 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 we have people 100%. who are trans. We get that, and you know, um, we extend all of our all of our sympathy towards people who are struggling with those kinds of issues. But that does not change what a person is. But and you can't just delete a gender just because you just wanted to delete a gender. This is fascinating to me. Uh, I'm, my brain isn't even sure how to look. Like- just, just join these dots. Yeah, up. okay. Your, your brain won't be able to because your brain is actually functioning this morning. Yeah, wait. Praise what God ha- for that. Just wait. Does that? Does this mean what happened to males? Does that mean there's just nothing? 
Like no. What, how, well, like how are they? There's birthing it? people and non-birthing people. There's just people. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty tough, right? It's pretty tough. But then how do they define that? Because we see even in like the animal world these very distinct differences. Like Yes, that's right. Uh, you've got chromosomes to begin with and then some people will jump up and down and say, but, yeah, what about ones that have XYY or XXY? Yeah, Which is like such a minute, you know, people always go to the extreme of the argument where you've got like a 0.0001% of the population that has, you know, something like this and, and, and drag out the extreme kind of, uh, you know, the most obscure example you can find. That is the most obscure example you can find. Okay, uh, when you come to an example like that, then I, the easy way to answer it is that uh, we'll just look at the size of the reproductive cells. Mm. Women have large reproductive cells, as in eggs. Men have small ones. Mm. There is a difference. It does not matter where you go. It doesn't matter um, what you know a person is thinking or identifying as. There is a difference. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And there is a scientifically identifiable difference. And when we throw science out the window in the interests of ideology, mm. we run into trouble. Mm. Yeah. No, that and I think that's where, yeah. If there's something that's even observable, observably, testable, repeatable, and observable, yeah. which is uh, what we call empirical science. Mm. There's nothing in empirical science that has ever challenged the Bible. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. Anyway, that's the world that we live in today. The Bible did prophesy that this day would come, and it has arrived. And surely it is a sign that Jesus is coming back soon. Oh, 100%. And, you know, people that are struggling with different things like gender dysphoria or, or uh, transgenderism or whatever it might be, we need to, you know, we need to recognize that people are struggling with this mm. and we need to provide the best possible care for people in that position, in that situation. And the best possible care is not just ignoring them. Mm. This is the tragedy yeah. that we have in our world right now is that a person who is really, really struggling with something, it's like, well, uh, the best thing we can do is just ignore them. No, it's like, no, you're not struggling with anything. You know, it's the king's new clothes. Like, oh, you're fully dressed. Mm. We don't do anything about it. Mm-hmm. You know, human beings are very smart. We are very intelligent. <laughs> we are so smart and we are so intelligent that we can form procedures so that a person can change their their sex and their gender and we can have operations and chemical changes and all this kind of stuff, but we can't come up with any way of them actually accepting their own body. Oh, interesting. We That's can't even a- try to, you know, it's in, it's an anathema to even research into creating a some kind of treatment that will enable somebody to accept their own body. It's really interesting because I don't know if you've noticed it, but we're at a place in society where the the terminology of body acceptance is actually huge. Do you know what I mean? Like, like when I was a kid, early teenager, there was never the same discussion around we've just got to accept your body for as you are the way that I have now, but that only extends to so far, right? Yeah. Do you know, do you know what I'm saying? Like it, well, that, it's it, there. The, it is there. But I know. It's, it's there but it's not there. Yeah. You know, they, they argue it tooth and nail on one point and then deny it as hard as they can from the other perspective. 
It's a bit weird. It's, a bit, it's just like oh, we, just got text, we just got so text messages confusion. from a listener. The obvious answer is they want to confuse people. Well, Many are sitting here well. very confused this well. morning. <laughs> uh, they've been doing this for a long time now. If you say a lie long enough, it becomes the truth for most people. And this mm. is this is basically the technique that they're following right here. Hey. Yeah, we live in a messed up world. Oh, I've got this story. I've got to cover. I've been waiting to cover this yes, for a couple of us. days. And I might need a little bit of extra time to cover it because it does deserve... Um, being covered thoroughly. And, of course, a couple of days ago, Biden did his acceptance speech to the Electoral College in the United States uh, where he has actually been pronounced president-elect. And in doing so, it was interesting to review. He he said some very revealing, made some very revealing statements as to where his true allegiance lies. Uh, So he chose to quote from famous person of the past, and of course that's common in a speech. There are lots of different famous people of the past that you can choose to quote from. Oh, yeah. Uh, And out of all of those people and out of all of the quotable individuals and even religious leaders, because this was a religious quote, he chose a Roman Catholic leader by the name of Saint, watch this one, Francis. Okay. Okay. So now, can't start to connect a few dots here. Uh, Joe Biden holds a degree from the uh, from Scranton Jesuit University in the United States. Mm-hmm. Pope Francis is a Jesuit, and so he chooses to quote from Saint Francis. All right, but it gets better than that because then he goes on to make this statement here: "May this moment give us the strength uh, to." Uh, rebuild this house of ours upon a rock that can never be washed away. Do you know who the rock is for a Roman Catholic? No. Pope Francis. Wow. For a Christian, that's Jesus that's Christ. Jesus. But for a Roman Catholic, that's Pope Francis. That's, that's from Matthew, that's Matthew chapter today, 16. Lyle. That's Matthew 16 and verse 18. Yeah. Okay, so that's a really interesting telling statement. So basically um, he's stating that this is where we're going, we're going to rebuild our yeah, yeah. house on Pope Francis, this. who is also a Jesuit, yeah. and he holds a degree from Scranton Jesuit. You, know, you start to put the connections together here now, mm. some really, really interesting connections. And, of course, it's worthwhile considering a little bit of history and relationship to this because uh, Biden was a part of uh, the Obama administration where his Chicago mentor was Gregory Galuzzo, who was a former Jesuit priest. His chief speechwriter was John Favreau, which, who was Jesuit trained. Um, his senior military and foreign policy advisor, Major uh, Jay Scott, Scott Gratian was Jesuit trained. His deputy communications director, Dan Pfeiffer, was Jesuit trained. Should I keep going here? Do you start to start uh, to get the point? Bit of a theme, isn't it? There's a very mm. strong theme right here, and I think that the alliance that we've seen between the Vatican and the United States is going to be significantly stronger under this administration than under the last one. Mm. Now, both of these administrations, you know, the previous one um, and, of course, the one that was before that, which involved Joe Biden, have been pretty toxic towards religious liberty, both of them. Mm. So people start to take sides here. I'm not taking sides. They have both been toxic to religious liberty, and these are all signs that Jesus is coming back. You're listening to The Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Joining us on the phone this morning is a segment. Is, is well, we, we've, we have a segment coming up that uh, we have a lot of people who look forward to each month. Uh, Barand Newstratton is here to talk to us about the Book of Genesis, and Barand, welcome to the show. 
thank you, love. Pleasure to be here. Baron, we have a fascinating chapter from the book of Genesis to look at this morning, the book of beginnings, and that's Genesis chapter 15. And here yeah. we've got God coming to Abraham. He's revealing himself to Abraham. We've got a sacrifice that takes place, and it's kind of a, I don't know, but it seems like a little bit unusual of an experience, unusual kind of sacrifice that is happening here. What What's going on in Genesis chapter 15? Yeah, it's it's a very interesting chapter. We we may recall that we've had the incident of the uh, of the uh, fight between the, some of the Mesopotamian kings that came to the uh, the, the Jordan Valley, and uh, you know obviously uh, conquered Sodom and Gomorrah and some of the other cities, and Abram uh, stepped in to help his uh, to help his uh, his nephew. Of course, uh, the it must have dawned on on Abram that his uh, situation was more precarious because those Mesopotamian kings might well come back, reorganize themselves and take revenge. Plus the fact there was a most likely growing jealousy of some of the other tribal uh, uh, people there that they saw the, the uh, what shall I say, the, the influence and might of Abraham increasing and they might be even become hostile. Uh, there's no rule of law, so to speak, that would protect him. His only protection, of course, is is God. Right. So he, you know, I, I guess he has alleviated some of that pressure by not keeping the spoil and the loot. So um, yeah. he's avoided becoming, you know, fabulously wealthy. But he's still a wealthy person and he's a powerful person, which would be a threat to those other tribes. They would be like, well, if he's got that kind of power and he can drive out, you know, uh, those nations, those Mesopotamian armies, then what can he do to us? Yeah, correct. All right, so if, and, these, and if these other tribes, they, if they all band together against Abraham, of course, they're going to outnumber him by an enormous amount, and that would make him very insecure. Correct, yeah. Yeah, that would have been on his mind. And, and the other thing that was very much on his mind, there's no posterity. He has no son. Um, what's to become of... Uh, all the promises that God has made, uh, and his thoughts are fixed on this moment uh, on Eliezer of Damascus, which was a very trusted uh, servant, a very upright man, but not a direct family per se, just someone that was born in his household, uh, a slave, and uh, someone who then would have to be his heir in the understanding that his heir would look after him and Sarah in, in their old age. Right. Okay, so what's what's the solution? What does what does where does Abraham go to find a solution for this? Well, God came with the solution and he reaffirms him. Uh so he, there is a vision and that's interesting it's really a night vision because God takes him outside and he looks upon the star and he reiterates his his uh, his, his earlier promise that he's going to have offspring. You know, he's invited in verse 5 to count the stars, which he can't. And he says, well, that's how your descendants will be. So he believed God. He believed him. And uh, that was, of course, uh, uh, an act of faith. And uh, and then God keep continuing to make the promise. And this time, this time rather than saying so, and that should be sufficient, God enters into what is... Um, yeah, strange, but it is a formal agreement that was uh, customary of the day involving the animals. And uh, so God directs him very specifically 
what to do. Right, so he takes um, some animals here, and if we, you know, we can look at them down there in verse 9, he said, take a heifer, three years old, um, a female goat, three years old, a ram, three years old, a turtle dove and a young pigeon, and so he's got, like, um, a number of different animals here, all each one of them different. And the Bible says that in this particular sacrifice, he divides them in half. Yeah. Now, okay. now, now, butchering an animal would have been something very familiar to Abraham. This is, you know, I, I think would probably turn the stomach of a lot of our listeners if they had to do it because <laughs> we kind of, uh, you know, we go to the supermarket to buy our meat, but for somebody who was Abraham, this would have been a daily occurrence. So nothing um, too dramatic in doing that. Correct. But he does divide yeah. them in half and lays them out on the ground and then protects them all day long. So now we've gone from nighttime now through to the daytime. He keeps yeah. the birds away from them, the uh, you know the crows and the eagles and so forth and hawks and whatnot. Yeah. Uh, what's what's actually taking place here? What's taking place here is that the the animals uh, each three years old of the the quadrupeds. That's because. They have to be adults, and that's affirmed and guaranteed by the three years of age. Uh, they have forfeited their life, and they are the surety of the life of the covenant, uh, and uh, you know the person who enters the covenant. And that is, as long as they stick to the covenant, the life of the animals will, you know, be there, be in their place, if you like, and uh, be surety for that. And that was a custom that had been practiced uh, locally. And uh, in fact, it even comes down to the book of, I think, Jeremiah, as late as that, it was still practiced. And uh, that is what happened. Now, as you so rightly said, we are now entering daytime, but we're moving again towards the evening. So this vision, this this uh, exchange or, uh, with God takes obviously uh, quite a bit of time here and of course, the preparation might have taken time as well. And he protects he protects the animals from the vultures uh, because uh, whilst he has walked between them, if you walk between the two opposing halves, you are accepting the condition. So, so Abram walks through it first, and then later on in verse seventeen, God goes uh, the same way between the halves of the animals, affirming that he has entered that covenant. Right. So we've got a covenant here that, that, that is then an agreement between two people and both of them have agreed to the terms of the covenant. Correct. Yeah. That is correct. Okay. So what does this covenant actually, what does it actually promise? What are they, what are they, what are the, what are the, what are the terms of this covenant? What is God going to do? What is Abraham going to do? Um, just yeah, just take us through this covenant a little bit. What is what is actually happening here with this covenant? Yes, God is becoming very specific, and the specificness of God that is the, on display here in, in in chapter fifteen is indicative of the fact that God has a foreknowledge. So Abram is not to own it outright himself, and uh, neither is his son Isaac, neither uh, Jacob. It's it, it, it's in the fourth generation. And in fact, God gives a time frame, which is absolutely fascinating. He notes 400 years of affliction. That 400 years is actually a part of 430 years, which are computed from the 
time that um, Abram leaves at the age of 75, Upper Mesopotamia, a place called Haran, and then he goes into the, then he goes down into the Canaanite uh, uh, territory, and uh, it's fascinating that uh, in, it's recorded in the book of, of of Exodus that when the in the fourth generation when his descendants do leave, uh, it is remarkable they leave to the very day uh, Exodus records, which is fascinating. So they have been. Uh, they have, uh, that is exactly 430 years. So there's a time frame. And it's fascinating that God gives the time frame because Abram could not as yet possess the land personally. In fact, he lived in a tent. He had no house to dwell in, even though he was wealthy. So when we put this in the context of what's just taken place where Abraham has um, driven out the Elamites, uh, which are an incredibly powerful army at that particular time. Yeah, uh, that has you know resulted in in him receiving a lot of wealth. Now he have, has co- of course returned that wealth, but he has obviously you know he's he's come into this country. He's been more or less a guest of the inhabitants. They have allowed Correct. him to stay. He hasn't had to conquer anything. Uh, but now he can be seen as being a threat. And so God comes and, you know, that would raise a whole bunch of questions in his mind. Okay. What, what, what am I doing here in the, in this particular land? You know, God told me to come here, but you know, what is the future of, uh, of me? What is the future of my people? And so in many ways, God is clearing it up for him, isn't he? Yes. Well, God asked of Abram, uh, besides just leaving, uh, his comfort zone, his family, his location, because even upper Mesopotamia, Haram is still, a very civilized uh, location to live. He comes into a very uncivilized society, Lyle, where there are quite, uh, you know, doubtful practices, particularly vile practices in, in forms of, yeah, what shall I say, their worship and their customs. Uh, there, there are enough documentation to verify the, the Canaanite uh, yeah, atrocities that were committed at the time. Uh, and how they uh, they had a terrible form of worship, you know, child sacrifice and all of the above, you name it, mm. it was there. And uh, yet somehow uh, God still allowed a probationary time for all the Canaanite tribes. And that's why Abram could not possess the land. But God's foreknowledge was that in the fourth generation, when they would come out, though Egypt is not mentioned, but the nation that would suppress them is, is obviously easily identifiable that that was Egypt. When they come out, they can possess the land because the probationary time of the Canaanites will then be completed. Yes, and we've got that uh, mentioned there in verse 16 where it you know talks about the iniquity of the Amorites or Canaanites is not yet full. Yeah. Do you think that, you know, we often read the book of Genesis and kind of assume that Abraham and his family were the only followers of God that there were left in the world, but then we find these other, you know, odd odd ones popping up like Melchizedek and so forth. Yeah. Do you think there was actually significantly more followers of God in, you know, amongst the Canaanites, amongst the ancient world? You know, even even Lot was like, you know, Abraham was pretty sure that there'd be ten righteous people down in 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 Sodom. Do you think there was more righteous people, followers of God, than what the Bible actually records? Yeah, it, it's interesting. The Bible is silent on that. But if there was a probation, an extension of a probationary time by by at least four hundred years, uh, God must have 
allowed the process to find place. The foreknowledge of God does not interfere with the freedom of choice. So there must have been elements amongst the collective Amorite tribes that were worshippers of the true God, because if there were none, there is no point in, in, in extending the probationary time. Mm, absolutely. Baron. we are out of time. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Pleasure. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.